You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to another edition of Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today I'm hosting a discussion with two friends of mine about the interesting concept of healthcare consumers and how they feel about in situ simulation. And interestingly, both these friends have arrived at this interesting research area quite independently. So I'm going to start by introducing them both. Uh, first of all, Steph Barwick, who is the Acting Sim Director at Marta Education in Brisbane, who is an RNN midwife and who coordinates some of the pop-up sim at that institution, as well as a program called Speaking with Good Judgment. She spent a bit of time in Boston last year as a CMS research fellow and is also a PhD candidate. How are you, Steph? I'm great, Vic. Thanks for having me. Good. And joining her is Damien Rowland. He's a paediatric emergency medicine consultant from the UK, the University of Leicester. Uh, He does a lot of paediatric emergency medicine research and especially around the recognition of sick children, but also researchers and is active in social media. And I first met Damien when we were speaking together at Smack Gold all those years ago. How are you, Damien? I'm very well, thanks. Well, it's lovely to have you both, and I might just uh, get right into this topic and in particular how you both got interested in it. So um, I, I just, just to put a bit of background to this, you know, lots of people are doing in situ simulation now. Uh, we've recognised that there are some risks associated with it around physical safety and uh, disruption of service, but not a lot of people are talking about the experience of and views of healthcare consumers who might be exposed or in the area of in situ simulation. So what do they think about it? What are their risks? What should we do about it? Um, well, tell us both. Damien, do you want to start us? How did you get interested in this? Um, I, I think there are two things that, that happened. The first was is that because I'm used to working in an emergency department environment, If you start doing a simulation within the emergency department, you're very visible uh, because we tend to have kind of open planned cubicles and and spaces. But also there's a in the emergency department, if lots of people gather around a patient, whether you're a healthcare background or not, people think, "Ooh, that's a bit odd. What's happening there? Um, and I was aware when we when we first started doing kind of uh, any form of, of simulation in the emergency department, what would other th- people think of what's going on? Because actually, if you can't see directly, you don't know if it's a real patient going on in there or a mannequin. And often, sometimes simulations provoke a bit of humor. People will laugh or uh, kind of do actions that they might not normally do if a patient was there. And that actually might get some interesting kind of cognitive problems for the, the, the patients or the public watching as they see lots of doctors come together and nurses do something around what they perceive to be a patient and then act quite strangely about it because they don't realize there's a mannequin there. And I could see that could actually set back education in the department if anyone was to complain about it. Uh, so, so that's the, the the thing that really kind of drove me to get interested in this area. So, yeah, really just that sort of gut feel of uh, direct coalface experience of doing it. It's more of the risk that someone might challenge what we're doing. And I could see from a management level if someone said, oh, you've had a complaint about your simulation, I want you to stop doing in-situ simulation, that would be disastrous for our program. So I wanted to make sure 
that the public were happy with it and we wouldn't get that kind of complaint. Yeah, and I think very forward thinking because we identify some risks, but maybe we are oblivious to these. Uh, What about you, Steph? Similar motivation? Yeah, I think similar motivation. Uh, We um, implemented our sort of organisational-wide SIM program in at the end of 2014, early 2015, and we were just becoming more and more visible, like Damien, I guess, in that we didn't often have a um, single patient room to do our to conduct our um, in situ simulations. So we were increasingly uh, doing sims in four bedded bays, and so. It just struck me a couple of times that we had patients in some of the other beds, you know, what were they thinking of what we're doing? I, I spent some time talking to them while we were setting sims up and asking them their thoughts and sort of thought, oh, this is an area that I should go and look into, went to look at the um, literature and couldn't really find anything around what is the best practice in ensuring we're looking after our healthcare consumers when we expose them to this training. Um, and what do they think about it? Yeah, so again, very sort of gut feel and then just starting to ask people rather than just looking awkwardly and hoping they didn't notice. Yeah. So um, so obviously this uh, this prompts the question. So, Steph, why don't you then tell us what are you doing about this little itch? How are you scratching it? I know you and I had a conversation uh, which started probably a couple of years ago now about the sort of research process you're embarking on. So would you like to share it a bit with the listeners? Yeah, well, I think that when all of this came about, I was presenting a lot on the pop-up SIM program and the question came up quite a lot around what do patients and visitors think about us doing this. And again, um, as I mentioned before, I went to the literature, couldn't find much about it, got in touch with you, Vic, and said, hey, I've got this idea. Do you think this is a good PhD topic? And you said, yes, (laughs) let's do it. So um, got involved in that way. Did, I think, before... You and I um, met up, Vic. I think I, I had started a small pilot study um, at the Martyr asking patients um, and visitors who were exposed to the in situ sims that we were doing what they thought of it at, at the time. And so I guess for me, um, yeah, more f- sort of formal studies around this um, in terms of a, a PhD and looking broadly at uh, what is in the literature, where's the gaps, what are current practices um, sim educators are doing to prepare our healthcare consumers and um, what specifically do healthcare consumers think of this? Yes, so obviously you're cottoned on to my highly refined technique of getting someone else to do a PhD to answer questions I've got. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so there's a bit in what you said there. So some is about literature review, which, um, as you said, on your first glance, you didn't even find that rewarding. There isn't a lot written. And the other is some surveys looking at uh, just some pilot work on how people are feeling about it and how to delve deeper. Um, Damien, can I ask you to pop in here? What sort of work have you, and I know some of the people you're supervising been doing? Yeah, so actually what um, <clears throat> prompted all of this is that I, I didn't go down the route of doing a, a, a huge uh, literature review, which I probably should have done. Um, but I was at the, I think it was the International Pediatric Simulation Conference in Glasgow, which was a couple of years ago. And a group from Belfast had presented a poster, which was parent opinion on multidisciplinary in-situ simulation as pediatric emergencies training. I thought, brilliant, this has solved my question. Uh, they 
take 41 uh, families uh, who would witness some in-situ simulation and ask them their feelings about it. And it basically said, well, they thought it was fine um, and just crack on. Um, and I remember approaching one of the groups saying, please, can you publish this work so that, that it gets out there and it's not just a poster so that I can uh, use this myself um, with uh, kind of local administrators or to, to move the field forward. And my feeling is I'm not sure it's actually been published uh, as, a, as a journal article and it still exists just as a, a published abstract. So I thought, well, actually, we're just going to have to create some of our own evidence. And that's what prompted me to work with Adam Bonfield, who's one of my uh, academic clinical fellows, a, a, a junior pediatrician wanting to pursue an academic career. Uh, and we put together a study I suppose replicating the Belfast work is asking parents uh, and children who are in our department at the same time simulation is occurring. What do you think of it? And do you have any concerns? Yeah, which sounds like a really good place to start. And uh, as you did that, um, what have you found and have you needed to refine the question as it were? Well, so it's um, it, it's interesting. The the ethical and governance approach to this, I, I learned so much from trying to describe ideas which I think are very easy and should just go ahead uh, from others who may take a different view. And it never ceases to amaze me how many stumbling blocks can be put in what what is perceived to be pragmatic research. Um, and there were a few things that we got back from the ethics committee about the work we were doing and would it cause risk and harm to kind of uh, families and children. Um, I, I didn't perceive that as a, as a risk at all, to be honest. Um, but what we've, what we've started to do and, and, and realized quite quickly is that most people don't even know the simulation is occurring. <laughs> That's the, the first thing is that, yeah. um, and it's really weird, uh, to actually most of the, the surveys we've had, uh, back so far says oh so i didn't i didn't know this was happening and the best comments are well this is a real shame because we've been waiting in the department for a while it would have been really nice to have watched can we watch in the future <laughs> which is a difficult thing to respond to uh, but we've we've had two or three comments like that now we we've had similar comments Yes, yes, it's kind of a new waiting room distraction technique streaming the video of the simulation into the waiting room yeah, we, we've had that. That's the most excitement we've had all day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, what you found? So, and so these were sort of surveys that just asked people how they felt. You found that often they weren't even aware of it. Um, so, maybe Steph, you can uh, give us a little bit of a, a thought on this because I know that you've been using surveys as well and some in-person interviews asking people what have you actually asked them and what have they said. Yeah, so we um, we went about this by asking the healthcare consumers who were exposed um, through physical pro proximity and most of the time they actually saw what was going on um, because of the location of the, the case. Um, and the things that we asked them were around whether or not they felt comfortable with us undertaking the exercise in front of them, um, whether it improved their confidence in the health services ability to respond to sort of critical incidents and whether or not they thought that it impacted their care because that was some of the pushback that we initially got when we um, 
started our pop-up SIM program that um, people felt that it could impact patient care too much. And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, I mean, we it's it's a small study so far, but we've got 29 responses and 28 of them uh, strongly agree or agree that they felt comfortable. It increases their confidence in the health services and they don't feel it impacts their care. So it was really good for us um, to know that it was uh, positively positively received by the healthcare consumer. I would say, though, for us, we did do a lot around preparing healthcare consumers for our sims. So we almost pre-brief our um, patients and visitors before they're exposed to uh, an in-situ sim. Right, so that may have skewed your results. So just to yeah. kind of summarise a few of the issues that are emerging, it's kind of like what's their general impression? Are they, could they actually be traumatised by seeing something pretty horrible? Could they get the wrong impression, back to Jamie, Damien's point about, uh, you know, seeing people laughing? Um, would it impact on care or would they perceive it impacting on care either by training the staff well or by disrupting the service? Mm. Uh, so what's their confidence in it? And I suppose the bit that you kind of also vaguely alluding to, I think, is, you know, what could be their contribution to it instead of helping to shape it? That, that was also one of the questions we asked is what type of scenario would they like us to help train that you know to to train for and also why they chose that 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 scenario so there were some really interesting comments around that specifically related to um either a the reason they were admitted or their family member was admitted to the hospital so for instance we had um uh, one around uh, we'd like you to train for airway emergencies because that uh, has been a risk of mine with my current condition. Yes. So unsurprisingly, people are very interested in their own uh, health. Um, Damien, in those uh, categories I outlined, anything you wanted to sort of add to those or other ones that were emerging as you start to get this well, information? I mean, what's really interesting to me listening to Steph is that actually we haven't done any form of, of pre-beef or, or information to the families. And I now wonder whether we should have done, or actually it's quite useful. We've taken a, a, a different approach and that we've not given any information and see what happens when you do that. Um, because I, I can see some awareness of people, uh, of, of letting other patients know that you're doing something like this is, is to be very good. And I, mean, I think we, all, we almost do that anyway to some extent because if you're running a uh, simulation in one of our high dependency cubicles they are quite visible um, and it becomes very obvious to the if there is a patient next door that you are doing simulation so that there is probably some acknowledge of that but we certainly don't have any SOP or protocol or say that we need to go around the department doing it um, and that's something definitely for me um to think about it, it, it's interesting about the the participation uh, point because i get the um real impression that the the public are keen to engage in helping healthcare professionals learn um and that uh some of the comments that we've we've already had are i think this is brilliant i think it's really important that uh, we see doctors and nurses working together and 
uh, training and learning because I think sometimes the the media give a a poor impression of of how medicine is practiced and often there are very bad media reports of the way that medical processes run. Um, and I think that anything that engages the public in feeling that they're part of a medical education program can only better communication between healthcare professionals and the public and patients. Um, so I actually see this visibility being quite important, not only for education of doctors themselves, but also for the medical and public relationships. I would completely agree. And that's certainly what we've found that um, by healthcare consumers are extremely interested um, and keen and enthusiastic to engage in this. The the transparency has been really welcomed um, from from the work that we've been doing by the, the healthcare consumers. Yeah, and I think that's probably a little bit of advice, not just for simulation, but for all healthcare professional education, we probably haven't taken the opportunities, I think, of that consumer engagement that you're both talking about. Um, just so that we can get a little bit of detail, um, Steph, did you want to tell us what you actually do? Because I know, as you said, you do some pre-brief. I know you've also got some physical signage, but tell us, what would an average uh, in situ sim, what would, would be the preparation for healthcare consumers in the immediate vicinity? So for us, we have a, a sign that sort of says in situ simulation um, being conducted now or here. And that's really to cover those people that we don't um, get to sort of touch base with and say this is what we're doing. Um, and then we will talk to the um, healthcare consumers who are, are close by and just provide them with information around um, what they're likely to see and hear. Um, the purpose, so why we're training, why we're using this as a as a training opportunity, um, and we we do ask them for consent in a way. So um, there has been times when I have asked a healthcare consumer whether or not it's okay for us to run um, an in situ simulation in their bay and. Only on one occasion has someone said no, and that's because they had only just returned from um, a morning with lots of uh, interventions in radiology and things like that, and they just weren't feeling up to the disruption. So um, it's really about information, provision of information that, um, you know, ensures that they're aware with what's about to happen. So how long we will be, you know, in the space conducting the sim, what it's about, what they're likely to hear and see. Yeah, and I think that's probably just good for everybody to ponder about their own both physical environment, patient care groups and how they might feel and what the tensions might be uh, because I think we don't know what the best practices are but I think you've at least got some for us to start with. Uh, just out of interest, one of the things that came up when we were talking about this um, before we started recording was about whether there were differences between adult and paediatrics because I know, Damien, you do a lot in peds. Uh, Steph, you kind of work across the board. Um, what do you think, Steph? Are there differences between asking sort of adults and their carers and families around them and peds, sort of parents um, and carers? Um, I... 
So I was really interested in this question when we first um, started surveying healthcare consumers because I was nervous. We, we run a lot of SIMs in the neonatal intensive care unit and I was really nervous around about running um, the in-situ SIMs in that space. Um, but overwhelmingly they have been, the, the parents of these babies have been um, extremely their, their responses have been really positive and really supportive um, and and so it made me feel really comfortable to go into these high-risk areas um, and run training opportunities so I haven't I haven't found too much difference although initially um, I was I was more worried about going into those spaces mm, interesting Damien uh, as I said you do a lot in peds but you do and certainly some of the research workers in adults uh, your thoughts on this question yeah, so the, I mean, we have a unique opportunity in pediatric simulation because we have a, a group of patients who have a different outlook on the world than we do as adults. And one of the, the great things that Adam did uh, for uh, the, uh, our study was create some sheets specifically for, for children. So on the top of the seat, it says, sometimes we teach by doing pretend playing. We might use a dressing up box. And he's got a little picture of a child with a dressing up box. Um, and then says, we want to ask you some questions about our pretend play. This will help us know if we're doing it right, um, just as a way of engaging children and helping them understand what we're doing in, in simulation. And that, that's not something that you can do <laughs> uh, with adults. And I, I, I like that. It forces you to think uh, about what you're doing because you need to present it in a way that a six, seven-year-old child can can understand. The other, I think, major difference between uh, pediatric and, and adult um, simulation is the concept of variability. So especially for children who have healthcare needs that have brought them into uh, hospital services on a couple of occasions, if you're a single adult type patient, you, you might not have a, a care or loved one with you for the initial phase of your emergency treatment. Whereas if you're a child, you almost certainly will do. And parents quickly spot variation in, in treatment um, and they become quite minded for that. And simulation is to me aware a way of reducing unwarranted or unnecessary variation in the way that you treat patients. Um, and I always try and pick up on parents who arrive, and let's not in a simulation scenario, but in a real case, and you can sense sometimes that the parents become uneasy or agitated because an emergency treatment plan that's been was instrumented last time is completely different from the one they're seeing in, in front of them this time they present. Um, and then I you try and use some of those differences in our, our simulation. And that's not an experience that I think happens a lot in adult practice because you don't get someone who's external who can look in and see if there are differences uh, between the way a care is delivered. Does that make sense? I hope I've explained. Yes, it makes sense, and it's very interesting. And I hadn't—you're right—I hadn't thought about that before. Uh, and it gives, a, as I said, a different role, but it helps us understand why that role is different. Okay, so we've covered a bit of ground. I guess we're probably finding we 
don't know many of the answers, but we've started asking. Uh, just before we sort of come back to giving advice to our lit- listeners about what you think they should do, I was just a little bit interested in the sort of academic side of this. And Steph, you've um, really taken a big step here, uh, starting out a PhD on this question. How have you found going from being a uh, generalist educator to being a uh, researcher? Um, it's been a uh, interesting experience, <laughs> but it's been really good actually. I was someone in uh, who at university and undergraduate and all, all my postgraduates used to go straight to the assessment pieces and <laughs> work around just getting them submitted. But in this experience, the learning I'm getting is all about is all in the journey. So it's it's all in the um, thinking differently, looking at the gaps, um, talking to people, um, yeah. And so, I what I have really found is that the the process that I'm going through is teaching me so much. Well, that's good. You may we'll we'll ask you again in another three years' time. But so far, so good by the sounds <laughs> of it. <laughs> I have to say that you're one of my supervisors. Hey. <laughs> That's right. You have to say that. Exactly right. (laughs) Damien, I know you're no stranger to the PhD process and now you're actually supervising others. Uh, I mean, this seems like a good example, doesn't it, where you get an itch based on your practice and uh, you get to do a deep dive. How do you find that um, as a supervisor? Um, Well, one of the great things about supervising is that you you continue to learn. I mean, it's the same with clinical medicine. Um, As soon as you become a consultant, it's not as if you you know at all. And in fact, you realize you've got so much more to learn and you continue to learn as as every year goes on. And when you're supervising people, you, you get challenged because the, I suppose, the developing academic is is looking at things in a different way than you might um, and so that they can ask those questions that you might not ask and that can only improve the quality of research that is being uh, undertaken. So I, I, I really enjoy that because it, it, it makes me a better researcher and I hope by reflecting on my practice I become a better supervisor and thereby we, we end up producing better research in the long run. Um, so I, I think it's a, definitely a two-way um, uh, journey. Yeah, for sure. Oh, interesting, inspiring from both of you. You're listening to Simulcast. All right, well, let's uh, think now about our listeners who we've taken through a journey of how we're thinking about investigating these questions. But based on what you've read so far and your own experience, I'm going to ask each of you to give a little best guess at what advice you would give to the in-situ simulation community about what they should be doing with their healthcare consumers and or what you think they should be asking them. So, um, Damien, did you want to kick us off? Um Yes. So I think the first thing is, is that the healthcare users who aren't involved in the simulation uh, should never prevent simulation um, occurring unless there is a a specific reason that they have expressed. So what I mean is that actually, please don't use the concern that there might be concerns to stop you doing in-situ simulation. Because I think that the early work would suggest that uh, families and children are very happy for this to go ahead. Um, I think you need to be mindful uh, that if you are doing a simulation uh, that might, 
that is close to a, a, a cubicle or is very open that other uh, families and children might be exposed to. And if those families and children have had a, if they are very unwell themselves, I think that is important um, to acknowledge. And it may be worth either moving or de deferring your simulation. And I think Steph gave a good example of why that might uh, occur. Uh, but the overall message is that this is, uh, we, we can be doing in situ simulation without much fear of uh, negative consequences. Um, Steph, anything you wanted to sort of add? What would be your advice to people coming to you saying, what should we do about the healthcare consumers around our ISS? Well, I, I would definitely echo Damien in that um, kind of don't shy away from running these um, simulations um, in front of the healthcare consumers. Overwhelmingly, my experience is that it's positive um, with the caveat that there should be some mindfulness around the risk, the physical and psychological risk um, that we could, um, you know, expose our healthcare consumers to. So um, doing some of that um, pre-work around preparing the healthcare consumer for it, um, I think will really ensure that the experience is positive. Yeah, exactly. And the thing that I'd sort of add, and I don't have any research to support this, but I, it also just makes me think, how do we engage consumers in our scenario design and delivery or our program design and delivery? Uh, because there may be some views, um, not just about the what, but the how and the some of the key things that are important. So uh, I think, again, that's probably a bit of a frontier in a lot of health professional education some people are doing this very well but of course others of us um, are still a little awkward about how to best engage with healthcare consumers yeah I would agree with that and, and certainly in Australia um, with our national standards consumer engagement is um, one of the key priorities and and part of that standard does talk about consumer engagement in um health professional education. And I think we probably yes. already do it already to some extent. So some of our simulations that we run, not always as in situ, but we also a couple of times a, a, a year do a, a simulation day where we take people out of the emergency department in, into a formal sim lab. And a number of those scenarios are based on real cases, but also have very realistic uh, kind of um, experiences drawn from families' perceptions of what's happened, um, especially, um, and we do handle this very carefully, but the profound uh, experience of grief, um, whether you've lost a child or you've got a severely uh, ill child, uh, families demonstrate that grief in many different ways. Um, and I think one of the things that we've we've not quite done yet is that we portray what we think the parents have felt in some of our simulations. What the next step then is to actually potentially ask some of the, these parents well after the event and obviously in a in a safe space is can we formally reproduce exactly what happened, get their permission to do that, because that would be the most realistic way of, of, of simulating a very stressful uh, situation. Yes, and uh, I know Ben Simon uh, has written a blog post about exactly that. It is very mm -hmm. hard to you know, get that uh, or to channel that experience of um, parents and carers. And so what you describe is a partnership that might help us to do that a better job of that. 
Well, I've got to say this has been a fascinating conversation and uh, I hope has illuminated some issues for people, maybe opened some eyes of others of us, uh, but I think also given a little bit of good guidance. So I just want to thank you both for your time on Simulcast today. Thanks, Vic. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. And Simulcast listeners, we will be uh, following up on the work of these two and uh, keeping you up to date with it over the coming months and years. So it's Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. 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 